Alright everybody, welcome into the very first episode of the Next On Deck Baseball Prospects Podcast. I'm your host, Deegs. You can follow me on Twitter at Deegs Baseball. Today we have a solo podcast. Um, I'll do my best to try and not bore you to death over the next 30 or so minutes. If this is your first time stumbling along our podcast, or honestly stumbling along anything Next on Deck related, um, you can follow us on Twitter at NextOnDeckBSB. That's again at Next on Deck BSB. You can find all of our written content online at next-on-deck.com. Obviously, subscribe to us on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcast. But um, if you actually go to the uh, to the audio feed on our podcast, you realize that we do have a fantasy podcast show. Um, that was obviously the first episode came out the other day. Mike Curland of Beer Bourbon Baseball, Bases Loaded Network, a fairly well-known guy in the industry. One of my really good friends came on, and we just talked about baseball basically for an hour and 15 minutes. So we'll be bringing some more guys on on that particular show. Those with that kind of obviously being tailor-made toward fantasy, this podcast is going to be strictly about prospects. Um, I'm going to include young guys in it too, so like guys that maybe you know got their feet wet in 2019 aren't prospects anymore. They, they, they don't qualify as rookies, but this is really their first full taste of big league action here in the 2020 season. So it's just going to be you know a platform where we're going to talk about these guys, how they're doing. Uh, we'll tailor it in towards dynasty leagues. There's going to be guys coming on to talk prospects and stuff like that. So this will be the prospect show. Eventually we will have an MLB draft show which will be only MLB draft stuff so a lot of great stuff coming from from the next on deck crew make sure you subscribe to us follow us on all the previously mentioned platforms and um, let's jump right into this so the very first guy we're going to talk about is you know somebody that it plays for my favorite team um, if you had Jake Cronenworth as the front runner for the National League rookie of the year halfway through the 2020 campaign on your bingo card. I'm sure you're really happy right now. But Jake Cronenworth, starting second baseman for the San Diego Padres, or the Slam Diego Padres, whatever way you want to call it. That was pretty cringy, and I'll probably never say that again. But acquired from the Tampa Bay Rays this past offseason, Cronenworth was kind of a guy that, at the time, I, I, I believe Tampa Bay was... Just kind of viewed him as a depth piece. He was kind of a throw-in part of that trade. Uh, reports had surfaced that the Padres were adamant that Cronenworth be a part of that deal in order to get it done, and obviously the race succumbed to it. So um, nobody really expected much production from him this year. Honestly, at at some point earlier in spring training, before COVID and everything happened, we had expected him to get some two-way opportunities. You know, he was throwing bullpen side sessions and was probably going to get into a game sooner rather than later, but. His role was supposed to be this super utility, crafty, glove-first guy that would come out of the pen to maybe come as an opener and then go play second base. And in reality, I mean, ever since he started playing, he's got a full grasp on the second base job for the Padres. He plays every day, regardless of it being righties or lefties. Uh, when Eric Hosmer went down with his stomach issue and he was out for roughly a week, Cronenworth was playing first base, a position he had never played before and absolutely excelled. So this guy's been an incredibly valuable valuable player for the San Diego Padres. What he's doing this year is part of the reason why they, them as a team are having so much success. 
Um, if, if you pull up his Baseball Savant page, you'll see a ton of red, which if you've never been to Baseball Savant, is really good. His expected batting average is actually like 70 points higher than his actual batting average is, and, and is basically the best expected batting average in all of baseball among qualified hitters. But basically, he's hitting everything hard. Everything he's doing right now, according to the expected numbers, suggests that this is sustainable. Now, if you go down and you look at his line drive rate, he's hitting the ball 44% of the time on line drives and 40 uh basically 41% of the time in the ground. So really not excellent splits there. He's pulling the ball a decent amount, actually. He started to go more middle in before, like the first week or so, maybe 10 games when he was fully the starter. He was pulling the ball like a 50% clip. That's kind of regressed down to 40.6%. And I mean, that's a pretty sustainable number, I think. So I'm not saying Jake Cronenworth is going to be this 350, you know, 410, 627 guy he is right now, but if he's like a Jeff McNeil light kind of player, where I understand like he's he's got more power than Jeff McNeil, right? But if he's like a 285, 290 guy that just gets on base, grinds at bats out, you know, bats potentially towards the top of your lineup, but if not in the six or seven hole, he's just a grinder, gamer type guy that runs into 15 to 20 home runs every year because he just barrels everything up. And, you know, his sprint speed is is well above league average. I, I, I would expect him to steal roughly 10 to 12 bags. I don't know how good of a technically sound guy he is. He didn't steal that many bases in the minor leagues in general. So I think that this is a, you know, 285, 290 type of bat at peak. And, and he's pretty much in his prime right now. He's 26. So uh, you're looking at a 280, 290 type of guy with a 360, 370 OBP, maybe a tick less and like a 440, 450 slug where he just hits 15 to 20 home runs every year, gets on base a ton, just grinds out at bats and is a huge contributing versatile piece of the San Diego Padres. Um, I think this is a guy that you should be buying absolutely everywhere if you play in Dynasty Leagues, right? Uh, going into the season, the Padres kind of didn't know what they were doing or, or, or what their future outlook at second base was. They acquired Jerickson Profar. He's a free agent after this year. I'd be shocked if they bring him back. Um, they had Brian Dozier at the time. Obviously, they let him go, and I'm starting to wonder if you know Cronenworth was part of the reason why they decided to let him go. Greg Garcia is there again. He's nothing more of a bench piece. And then if you go into the farm system, they obviously traded away Luis Urias to the Brewers for Trent Grisham, who's a guy we'll talk about here very shortly. But um, you know, moving forward, Ty France was getting reps at second base. Uh, you know, Owen Miller was potentially looked at at as a guy who could play second base for them next year until essentially CJ Abrams comes up and bridges the gap. But I mean, I think now with the way he's playing, he's 26 years old. He's an older player. He's, he's got poise, composure. There's some familiarity with him. I think Jake Cronenworth is a guy that could seriously lock up the Padres second base job for the near future. At least. I mean, Abrams is, is 18, he's a 19 year old guy that just, you know, has missed out fully on game-like reps this year of development. I, I think the timetable gets pushed back for C.J. Abrams. He's a really special prospect. I'm not entirely sure how long it's going to take him to fully be able to compete and be acclimated to the big leagues. And if this team is serious about competing for a World Series title here in the next couple of years, which I think 
they think is realistic. I think some people in the national media are start, are starting to realize that, hey, this Padres team is a hell of a lot closer to competing for a title than we thought they were. Then they're going to want to go with the guy that has already proved to them that he can do it at, at the big league level. And they they obviously don't think Cronenworth's going to be a 350 hitter. That's impossible. He'd be one of the best hitters in baseball. But I definitely think the Padres as an organization view him as a guy that can play second base for them every single day. He can play short when Tatis needs a day off. We saw him at first base. Um, he could probably honestly play left or right field if they need to. He's an excellent defender. He grinds at bats out. He knows what he's doing. He's a competitive major league baseball player that has a place at the big league level for a really long time. So I think that Jake Cronenworth is the answer for the Padres here at second base. And I actually wrote a piece about him on our website, again, next-on-deck.com, where I just basically highlighted everything and you know looked back to his college numbers, looked at his minor league numbers, analyzed what he's doing now, and concluded that this guy is for real. I mean, he doesn't strike out a ton. He doesn't chase. His discipline is amazing, and he barrels everything. So if you haven't already fully invested in Jake Cronenworth, I think you should. I would probably wait a little bit until he starts to cool down. I think there's going to be a point in time where he comes and starts to hit, and you know, kind of hits a, a a bump in the road per se. Maybe it's not this year. Maybe it's towards the beginning of next year. But he's going to get opportunities, especially because he's an incredible defender in the field that can play both up the middle positions. And I think there's a there's a possibility he potentially moves up to you know in the Padres order. I'm not entirely sure that's going to happen. But if he's the five six hitter for the San Diego Padres, who are looking to be one of the more potent lineups in baseball's future the next couple of years, you have to invest in this guy. So um, that's my little Jake Cronenworth spiel. He's one of my favorite players. I love the way he plays, man. It's just a gamer, grinder, balls to the wall every single time. And he's a guy that you need to invest in in dynasty leagues or even redraft leagues if you haven't already, especially given how shallow second base is as a position. So let's move on from Cronenworth and jump on to another San Diego Padre, a guy who is legitimately one of my favorite Padres we've ever had since I've started watching, which is you know a very short list of players to enjoy given the fact that the team's been abysmal the last couple of, you know, for the better part of the last 15 years. But Trent Grisham, obviously everybody knows, acquired from the Milwaukee Brewers this past November, you know, I think a couple days before Thanksgiving actually. Um, I'm not going to go into any conclusions on who won the trade or not. Luis Urias is a very talented prospect. He's not really gotten his feet wet, you know, dealt with a wrist injury, struggled with some COVID issues, I believe, that kept him out for a while. Um, So we're not going to dive into any of that stuff. It's way too early to say. But at least from the Padres side of thing, Trent Grisham's been absolutely awesome, right? Started the year out kind of towards the bottom of of their lineup, 6-7 hitter. It took like three or four games for them to just be like, hey, this guy's extremely valuable to our our offense. We have to bump him up. He moves up. He's basically been the leadoff guy every single day that he's been playing. There's a couple starts here and there where they've dropped him down, but even against lefties, he's leading off, and it's because he gets on base at at a ridiculous clip. Getting on base at a 369 clip with a 514 slug, an OPS of 883, um, his hard hit percentage, like his hard hit data overall is okay. Uh, he barrels the ball up consistently, super fast. So this, this is, this is a guy that, you know, if he ends up just chopping one, obviously he's left-handed. So if, if he ends up just chopping one to the left side of the infield, definitely a guy that can beat it out. Uh, you know, he's, he's fast. He has that head start out of the left-handed batter's box. I'm going to give you some steals. I mean, I think he could probably steal 15 to 20 bases. 
on a yearly basis, especially on this team, because you know we've already seen they're super aggressive on, on the base paths. Jace Tingler, obviously their manager, loves to put guys in motion put, and, and just put pressure on the defense. So um, from that standpoint, you're getting a lot of contributions from Trent Grisham. One thing that's really surprised me is the power. He's had seven home runs this year. Three of them came in, you know, one game a couple days ago, but he hits the ball hard, man. His expected slug is right around his actual slug, so I think there's, you know, some things to like there. The strikeout rate at 24.4%, I think roughly it's going to be about 20 to 22%. The walk rate at 14% is probably going to be roughly around, um, somewhere in the 14 to 16% range. So you're getting a guy that gets on base a ton. And the biggest thing is he's he's batting the leadoff at, at the top of this lineup as a first-year player. And that means he's going to be batting behind, you know, in front of, sorry, the likes of Fernando Tatis Jr., Manny Machado, um, you know, Eric Hosmer, Will Myers, if he's hitting the ball well, hell, maybe even Jake Cronenworth. So lots to like about Trent Grisham. I think... The best comparison from a production standpoint that I can give you for Trent Grisham is George Springer with less power, but better on base skills, right? So Springer gets on base a ton. His career OBP is 360. I think Grisham's going to be a 370, 375 guy. Maybe in his prime years, he gives you a couple 380, 385 seasons. But I think you're getting like a 270 370, 380 guy, and the slug is like 450. I don't think he's going to have those years like Springer did where he hit like 34, 35 home runs. You're probably looking at a 20 to 25 home run type of bat that'll maybe run into 27 to 28 at some point in his career. But he's just going to go up there, man, battle, get on base. The guy works more 3-2 counts than I've ever seen out of a Padre in the last 15 years. Just unbelievable bat-to-ball skills. Unbelievable approach at the plate. Doesn't chase much. He's just everything you want in a leadoff hitter, basically. So, especially the type of guy that's going to bat in front of the likes of Tatis, Machado, and Hosmer. So, and another thing that basically solidifies him, you know, as an everyday player for this team moving forward is he's an amazing center fielder, right? Like, he's the, one of the better defensive center fielders in baseball. His outs above average metric is towards the top of all in all of baseball. I mentioned the sprint speed earlier, so he's got the speed to get to routes. His jump, his outfielder jump rating is awesome on Baseball Savant, so he's the complete package, man. Anybody who doesn't think that Trent Grisham is a legitimate future piece of this Padres team is probably just crazy, and they're not really realizing the, the type of talent this kid is, so um, I love both of these guys, Grisham and Cronenworth. I would be getting them everywhere because they're going to be key contributors for one of baseball's rising lineups. Um, OBP leagues, you have to own Grisham. Make it a priority, especially if it's a redraft league, to get him every year because you're getting a ton of contributing values for a guy that's going to score a bunch of runs, steal some bags, hit a couple home runs here and there, and just be an awesome player for your fantasy team moving forward. So that's my little fandom spiel. Let's move on here to... Um, two prospects, two pitching prospects for the Detroit Tigers and Casey Mize and Tariq Skubal. Both of them made their big league debuts in the last week. Mize looked awesome against a talented White Sox lineup. He struggled the second time through, but I think he struck out like seven guys and looked really good. The biggest takeaway from him, obviously, 
well, outside of the health, you know, there have always been concerns with his elbow and and, and just how that's going to hold up over a full wor- starter's workload at the big league level. But the splitter, man, Casey Mize's splitter is unbelievable. It's a legitimate 70 grade offering. If if I was ever going to throw an 80 grade offering on a pitch, it'd probably be his splitter because it's that good. I think that's going to be an elite pitch for him moving forward. It's gonna it pairs off his fastball so well. It's gonna have incredibly high whiff rates. He's gonna miss a ton of bats with that and a ton of barrels too with that pitch. So, um. As for Tariq Skubal, obviously intriguing guy, left-handed pitcher, fastball-heavy sequencing, throws his fastball way too much. You know, for, for my liking, I get it. He's a lefty throwing 97, 98 miles an hour. But big league hitters can hit fastballs, man. And that's the case that happened with the with the White Sox lineup. They knocked him around a bit. They're a good fastball-hitting team. He got knocked around in his second outing, too. Um, basically, the only, only reason I brought this up is because I saw a ton of people, you know, on Twitter arguing about Casey Mize and Tariq Skubal and who's better and whatnot. And I just kind of want to set the record out there that Casey Mize has the potential to be a top 10, top 12 pitcher in all of baseball someday. I think Tariq Skubal is a three or four type of guy just because he relies too heavily on the fastball. He's a really good athlete. So honestly, I I think he's going to make the adjustment eventually and figure it out. And he'll probably miss bats at a pretty decent rate. But in terms of just getting through the order, churning guys out, giving somebody the ball every five days, and that guy being your stopper, that's Casey Mize. So for me, it's a pretty no-brainer. Uh, Casey Mize is a better is going to be a better pitcher than uh, Tariq Skubal. He's better right now, and he probably always will be because he has that true elite offering. He's got the bulldog in him. He just he's he's he has everything you want to see out of a guy who can be a frontline starter at the big league level. So, um, just want to throw that out there for all the people. I saw a lot of argument. I wanted to give my two cents. Obviously, if you, if you disagree with me, that's fine. But I just think that you know from a pitching standpoint, Casey Mize is a more advanced pitcher and is just better than. So let's move on to another American League Central arm, Mr. String Bean Slinger Tristan McKenzie of the Cleveland Indians, a second round pick like five or six years ago, finally getting his chance to start for his major league team. I think obviously part of this has to be because of the whole Mike Clevenger, Zach Plesak thing where... They're still kind of on this COVID timeout for basically being idiots and not following the team protocol. The Indians needed a starter. They they probably felt he was ready. They brought him up. Um, saw a lot of good stuff, man. The fastball looked really good. It, 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 it's coming out nice and clean. He was getting called strikes and whiffs on it. Uh, the breaking ball to me was the biggest takeaway. It, it was a really solid pitch. It's tight. He can spin it. He can land it for strikes. And it kind of pairs off his fastball pretty solid. So I like Tristan McKenzie. I think that he's just super thin and it is always going to be at injury risk because of that. But I mean, if, if, if he can fight, the only thing with him has never been the talent. It's, it's always been the injury. He struggled to put together consistent seasons at the minor league level, um, you know, quality, competitive, you know, full seasons because of the injuries. So if he can stay healthy, this is a guy that has the pedigree, obviously second round pick was a highly touted pitching prospect coming out of high school, still super young, has tremendous upside given the, fr- the frame and the arsenal. Um, right now, I'm worried about the injury, and, and I'm also worried about the opportunity. Um, I, I, I had seen on Twitter that people were kind of buying into McKenzie being this guy. You know, this season, rest of season, that can compete for the Indians. Obviously, they're a good team. They're incredibly good with, with, with pitching development. So from that standpoint, I totally agree. But 
you have to understand that these guys are missing two very key cogs to their pitching rotation, right? Mike Clevenger is a top 10 guy in all of baseball when he's healthy, and Plesak was amazing this year. And both those guys are expected to come back sooner rather than later. So I think that once the Indians bring them back, you know, they have Carrasco, they have Plutko, they have Bieber, they have a solid rotation. I can't see this team competing for, it. you know, the first you know, not even first place in their division, but for the best record in base in the American League, nonetheless. I can't see them throwing a 23, 24-year-old guy out there every single day or every five days to compete for them. So now, that obviously changes. Should Clevenger and Plesak get traded, which is something that's obviously been floating around you know, the Twitter sphere lately of these two guys, potentially the ripple effect in the locker room being way too much for them to ever come back. Should one of them get traded? Then yeah, I think McKenzie gets an opportunity and I'd be slightly more interested. But even then, I'm hesitant to pull the trigger on him. If you if if you can get him for cheap in a in off your waiver wire in redraft leagues, I I probably just throw it out there if you have the bench spots. If not, I just I think he makes one more start and once these guys come back, if they do come back, he doesn't really have that much of a role with the Indians. So, I don't know, man. One guy that I think looked amazing, actually made his debut the same day as Tristan McKenzie, was Miami Marlins right-handed pitcher and top-ranked prospect Sixto Sanchez. I've seen people saying on Twitter or on audio, you know, from a pod, from a podcast standpoint, that once Caleb Smith and Sandy Alcantara come back, Sixto is just not going to get you know innings, and 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 you really shouldn't in, invest in him. And I just I find that hard to believe because you know what I saw from Sixto Sanchez was an amazing start against a, an okay lineup. It's not like you know the Nationals have this crazy good lineup, but the stuff that he was just putting out there, man was incredible. The fastball regularly 98-99 touched 100 a couple times. The changeup was Bugs Bunny-esque, 92-94, just throwing everything super hard. The breaking ball looked good. Everything he threw was awesome, man. The sequencing, like obviously everyone's seen that Pitching Ninja video of him basically undressing Eric Thames in the box with that three-pitch mix. But his sequencing all game was awesome. Like just everything he did was was awesome. He looked like he belonged in the big leagues. And, and this is what, what, what we knew about Sixto, right? He was a power guy. Everything he throws is super hard. He's going to miss a ton of bats. And that's why I think he can be a frontline guy because he has the fastball, right? Uh, he throws hard. He's got that one go-to off-speed pitch that could miss bats. He can sequence. He just throws very hard. He's a modern-day pitching prospect, right? So... For me, the Marlins are only a game and a half behind the Braves. They're in second place right now. The rest of that division, and honestly, the National League as a whole, is struggling. So, why would you not keep this guy up? I get it, service time, whatever, but he's your best arm. I mean, six those outside of Pablo Lopez and potentially Eliezer Hernandez right now, he's your best arm. And long term, he's definitely your best arm. So I think that they need to keep him in the rotation because this is a guy that can miss bats at a high rate right now and win you some ball games with his arm. So I loved what I saw on Sixto, uh, of Sixto Sanchez. I would be aggressively trying to pursue him in dynasty leagues. Probably going to be hard for you to do. Like I remember I was talking to my guy, Eddie Almaguer in our expert dynasty league when I was trying to move Mookie Betts and 
We couldn't come to a deal on bets, but but I had some other pieces I wanted to move, and he had Sixto, and I was interested in Sixto, and he refused to do it unless he was part of a bets deal. And honestly, I can't blame him because I tried to get him trying to sneak under Eddie's skin there as a Marlins fan and try and reach in and potentially grab Sixto at a lesser price than he's worth. And kudos to him for not making that deal, man, because Sixto Sanchez has frontline upside. Top 25 prospect for me, easy, no problem. Love the guy. And I think Miami is going to reap the rewards of that trade extremely for a very long time. So loved what I saw there. Um, probably the American League Rookie of the Year frontrunner right now is Kyle Lewis of the Seattle Mariners. He's a very polarizing prospect. A lot of people love Kyle Lewis. They're in on him. A lot of people think that this is just a total mirage and a total fluke and that this guy basically is nothing. Uh, me, my personal opinion, I, I hate to be that guy, but I'm kind of just stuck in the middle. He's definitely not even close to the hitter that he is right now. But he's definitely not a bad player either. I think there there's definite regression coming. There's no way he's going to be a 330 hitter his entire career. Could he potentially keep this hot streak up right now? Yeah, I think it's a shortened season. There's not that time for pitchers to make a true adjustment period for him. He's crushing fastballs. He's crushing off-speed pitches right now. I think that there's definitely an opportunity for him to potentially keep some of this up in some regard for the remainder of the season. That is going to definitely correlate to an increase in his ADP next year and his draft price and that's why I'll never have Kyle Lewis on my team but to think that you're potentially getting a 255 260 maybe a 265 270 guy that hits 20 to 25 maybe home runs my problem with that is that his entire you know minor league career and, and, and even in 2019 when we saw him come up was Kyle Lewis's big guy he's huge he's his power bat elevate the baseball hit for a ton of power strike out a ton this year, as it's been very duly noted on several different platforms already, he's kind of changed that approach. The launch angle's not where it was. He's trying to hit more line drives instead of hitting the ball in the air a lot. He's striking out less and he's making more contact. But my problem is, is his ground ball rate is still fairly high. And his ground ball rate was fairly high last year. So at the same time, he's decreased his launch angle and he's still hitting the ball on the ground a ton. Whereas before, he was hitting the ball in the air a ton and he was still hitting the ball on the ground at a pretty significant rate. But when he was hitting the ball in the air, he was launching it into the gaps for doubles or home runs. Now he's more of just this batting average, shorten up. I'm just trying to make contact, poke the ball wherever I need to, instead of trying to sell out for more power, which is fine because he's striking out less. But I'm not entirely sure what his overall ceiling is if he's just this 260, 265 guy that hits a bunch of singles, maybe hits 20 to 25 home runs every year. It... it as opposed to, he could have been a 235, 240 guy that regularly hit two, uh, 30 to 35 home runs and was striking out a ton, but was giving you that power bat cheap late in the draft instead of having to invest in your power bats early. So I'm totally torn on Kyle Lewis. I have him in one of my dynasty leagues, and I've, I've put him on the trade block at least for three weeks now. If you have Kyle Lewis, the only reason why I would be like in full sell mode in, in Dynasty Leagues is because I really don't think his name and his value is ever going to be higher than it is right now. He's literally on pace to win the Rookie of the Year in, in the American League against Luis Robert goes nuts and Kyle Lewis cools down. So 
I mean, if you have him in Dynasty and you truly believe that he's going to be this good, I, I, I don't know what to tell you. I just flat out disagree, and I would definitely be trying to move Kyle Lewis everywhere. Get whatever you can on him. Obviously, if someone tries to come in and gyps you at a lower price, don't sell him. You know, Sell him for what he's worth right now and, and, and try and get a contributing, valuable asset to your team Should, if you're not competing, if you're not contending. But I just think that what we're seeing out of him right now is a complete anomaly. He's going to regress. I think the strikeout numbers will go back up. He's probably going to be a fine major leaguer for eight to ten years. But this is this, there's no way he keeps this up. So, all right, I'm going to take a quick break. I have to get some water. When I come back, you know, we'll talk about some younger guys, two relievers I really like, and a certain prospect that started out really bad but is now heating up. All right, guys, I'm back here. Let's kind of wrap this up quick but i two guys that i i'm writing about for next on deck and 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 two guys that i love especially if you play in saves plus holds leagues which you definitely should be playing are kansas city royals righty josh stalmont and milwaukee brewers righty devin williams right these are two guys that i'm absolutely buying everywhere i can josh stalmont throws very hard and he has a ridiculously good curveball okay I'm pulling this up right here for you. He throws a four-seam fastball 49% of the time, curveball 33.8% of the time, and he throws a sinker 17.1% of the time, okay? So Josh Stalmont's curveball, 2,900 RPMs, 68.2% whiff rate, throws it hard at roughly 82 miles an hour. He's got 14 Ks on it. Opponents are hitting 111 with an XBA of .073, a slug of 278, and an X slug of 134. So again, Really good stuff. A put-away percentage of 48.3%. It's an elite pitch. It's one of the best curveballs in baseball. My only problem with his is the four-seam fastball velocity is awesome, right? 98.4%. And all the batting average numbers look great right now. But people are barreling him up when he throws that four-seam fastball. 92.9% exit velocity with a 33% launch angle means they are hitting it hard and they're hitting it in the air. The curveball has a 95.6 exit velocity against, but they're not hitting it in the air at a 14-degree launch angle, which I think is why it's more effective. Now, if we go to the sinker, the sinker basically, whatever sinker he's throwing is super hard, but it sucks. 333 batting average, 500 slug, an X slug of 663, a WOBA of 433, average exit velo of 98.5, and a launch angle of 32. So they're hitting, not only are they hitting it super, super hard, they're hitting it in the air a ton. So what I think Josh Stalmont needs to do to truly be an elite reliever, because he is right now, he's a rookie, he's striking out a ton of guys, but there's not really a big book on him. I think he needs to throw his fastball less, throw his curveball way more, and just ditch the sinker. So I'm thinking like a, like a 40... 4% fastball rate and like a 57% curveball rate. He needs to throw the curveball so much, play off that pitch, and then just start pumping heaters up in the zone to get guys out. But I love what I what I see here in Josh Stalmont. There's an opportunity for him to ultimately one day be their closer. Trevor Rosenthal, Ian Kennedy, all these guys that are garnering this buzz, they're, they're, they're going to be gone. They're old. They're not future pieces of this team. Josh Stallman is. So if you can get him off the waiver wire, if you can acquire him, I definitely would. Maybe there's a guy in your league who's just like, who the hell is this Josh Stallman guy and why should I care about him? Go get him and get him now. The other guy that I am running to the hills 
to get if I possibly can is Devin Williams of the Milwaukee Brewers. Unbelievable stuff from Devin Williams. He doesn't get hit hard. He throws a ton of strikes. His changeup. So he's 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 mostly a two pitch guy. Throws a four seamer and a changeup. Right, four seamer averages ninety six point four miles per hour. Okay, batting average numbers. The slug's a bit high, but nobody hits that ball in the air a ton. He misses bats. It's a very effective fastball. Okay, the changeup to me has to be a top five changeup, if not the best changeup in all of baseball. He has thrown this pitch eighty five times this season. Okay, has yet to allow a single hit. In 85 attempts, he's yet to allow a single hit. Only six batted ball events, 14 strikeouts, a literal batting average of zero, a, an X batting average of .025, a slug of zero, an X slug of .038, an average exit velo of 74 miles an hour with a launch angle of minus three. People aren't even elevating his changeup when they put it in play. Now, if you watch a video of it, it's kind of more of a screwball because most changeups, actually every changeup in baseball doesn't spin at, at a 2800 RPM rate. But whatever the hell he's throwing, man, it's devastating. And it's clear that this guy has pinpoint command of it because if you look at his you know, pitch chart, they're almost all in the same spot. Low and into righties, low and away to lefties. His four-seam fastball, I want him to throw it up in the zone more, up and away to his arm side more to just kind of pair off that changeup better. But this is a guy who throws a fastball 48% of the time and a changeup 47% of the time. Scrap the cutter and the sinker and just go 50-50 or throw the changeup a ton. And this guy is going to be... I mean, an um, he's already an unbelievable reliever. Uh, a guy who had Tommy John already, so he's got that going for him. Obviously not a positive that he had it, but potentially not at risk to get it again. He All the ex expected stats check out. I love what I see. If the Brewers were to ever trade Josh Hader, this is their guy to step into that closer role and just be a dominant guy. And if not, this is your clear, picture-perfect setup, man, especially now that Corey Knable has been dealing with some, with some diminished velocity. And I'm actually pretty sure he's on the injured list. So, Devin Williams, acquire him. I picked him up in one of my dynasty leagues. He was just sitting there on, on the waiver wire, took advantage of it, jumped all over it. Be all in on Josh Stalmont and Devin Williams if you possibly can. I have to applaud the Washington Nationals because they, as an organization, have just not cared at all about service time over the last couple of years. First, it was Juan Soto. I think they did the same thing with Robles. And now it's Luis Garcia, a 20-year-old left-handed hitting middle infielder, probably a second baseman long-term, that they called up like a week ago because Starling Castro broke his hand, and he has been awesome. Six foot two, 211-pound uh, frame. There's some... There's some proportional strength to his build. I like the body. I think some people are poo-pooing on, on the body more than they should be. Um, he's a big guy. He's physical, strong wrist, strong forearms, big dude. Um, more lauded throughout the minor leagues for his hit tool. I think some people slab a, a, a plus hit tool on him and like a 45 power grade. I think my personal evaluation is more of a 55-50 power guy. I think I think he's going to hit for some power, man. I've seen him drive some baseballs early in his big league career already. Obviously, extremely small sample size, but he has he does have some thump to the bat. The body suggests that there is some raw power in there. He's a left-handed hitter. Um... I think he's just going to be a gamer every day up the middle guy for them. I, I, Stalin Castro's getting older. Asdrubal Cabrera's getting older. I think Carter, they're pretty, you know, 
convinced that Carter Keyboom is a third baseman for them long term. So I think an infield of Keyboom, Turner, um, Garcia, and just whoever they can find over at first base is is going to do for them. I like what I have, what I see in Luis Garcia. He's a guy that I would definitely be buying in dynasty leagues if I can. Again, like a 275, 280 type of hitter that could potentially run into 15 to 17, maybe even 20 home runs every year. Swipe you some bags, get on base at a good clip. If he ever ends up batting towards the top of this lineup, he's hitting in the six hole right now, but if he ever moves up into the two spot, maybe even the three spot, I'm not sure that's probably a bit too aggressive, but long term, if he if 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 they're one, two, three, is him Turner, Soto, maybe Robles sprinkled in there every once in a while. There's a ton of value to have here in Luis Garcia. and He's already incredibly young and getting his feet wet here at, at the big league level. So I personally acquired him about a week ago. I moved Mookie Betts in a deal, um, and he was one of the pieces involved in that trade because I'm pretty high on him. So I like the future outlook. I love him so much more if he ever ends up hitting in front of Juan Soto. So buy Luis Garcia if you can because there's definitely some upside here. We talked about Sixto Sanchez earlier, and I mentioned Pablo Lopez, and a guy that I briefly kind of highlighted there is Eliezer Hernandez, a guy who's been probably their best starting pitcher thus far this season. You could probably make a case for Pablo Lopez, but definitely been a surprise for me. I didn't see this coming from Eliezer Hernandez. He's kind of a guy that struggled his first two years at the big league level, got hit around a bit. What he's doing this year intrigues me a ton, solely because, okay, I'm looking at his pitch data from last year, right? So last year, he threw a four-seam fastball 53.6% of the time. He threw a slider 33.3% of the time, which is an elite pitch. It's a very good pitch. It's a swing and miss offering, plus pitch, gets plenty of whiffs. It's his best pitch, right? He threw a changeup 11.4% of the time, and then he sprinkled in a, a sinker like 2% of the time. Not relevant data. So he's a, he was a four-seam slider changeup kind of guy, okay? And he got okay results. It was a pretty solid overall year for him uh, doesn't miss a ton of bats the fastball guy hit pretty hard last year but the off-speed pitches were fine okay now this year he has made a pretty serious change to his pitch mix he's now throwing the fastball 60% of the time so fastball up 6% the slider tick is up 2%. What he's doing, though, is he has basically scrapped the changeup completely from his arsenal. He's only throwing it 4.4% of the time. And when he has thrown it this year, it's gotten hit very hard. 107.4 exit velocity on the changeup. But it's been an okay pitch, and no one's gotten a, a, a hit off of it yet because he only has a launch angle average of 7 degrees on the changeup. And this is kind of a, something I noticed with Eliezer Hernandez. Is last year, his ground ball rate, when he threw the changeup the most in his entire career, was 36%. This year, 26%. But last year, he didn't miss nearly as, as many bats. Whereas this year, he struck out 25 guys in 19 innings this year already okay so I think what he's doing is he basically said hey I'm tired of getting ground balls I'm tired of guys putting the ball in play on me I'm just gonna go full on strikeout mode and ditch this pitch because the changeup is effective and him throwing it 11% of the time a 7% more increase than he is this year tells me that that pitch was getting was a big reason why his ground ball rate was what it was last year and why it's not this year this year, he's throwing it less. 
when he throws it, people are hitting it more, but they're still hitting it in the ground, which is why it's been an okay pitch. But the slider, which is his best offering, he's throwing it more, and he's throwing his fastball more too. So he's more of a two-pitch guy now, which you know for some people it, it is a concern. But he's doing it to strike out more batters, which in the end, if that ends up playing, is is going to be more effective for him than them putting the ball in play. Now, he can still throw the changeup, but I think it's more effective for him to throw that changeup less of the time how he's doing now than what he was doing in 2019. So another thing to note, which could be a bit of a cause for concern, is his fastball characteristics and velocity are basically the same. The spin rate, the exit velocity, the launch angle, the average velocity is up like five ticks or five, like 0.5 percentage points this year. But basically all of the fastball characteristics are similar. He's just not getting hit as hard with the fastball this year as he was last year. Now, part of that could be because he's shortened up his pitch mix and he's throwing the slider more, or part of it could be he's just getting lucky which that would concern me if he was getting lucky. If you look at his pitch charts, he's throwing the fastball basically in the same location. So I'm not really sure what to make of this. It could just be because he's ditched that one pitch and now he's more fastball slider sequence heavy, but I'm not entirely sure. So something to monitor. He's a guy that maybe I'm interested in. I actually did just acquire him. He, he was a piece in a trade I just made in one of my dynasty leagues, but I think that Eliezer Hernandez is super intriguing. I'm so interested to see what he does this year moving forward, how he how that fastball gets hit, and if this pitch mix change is really going to sustain and help him miss more bats. Because if it does, that definitely makes him a more valuable fantasy asset as opposed to what he was doing last year. Last guy we'll talk about here before we get into some potential call-ups is Evan White of the Seattle Mariners. Obviously, a guy that they gave a six-year, $24 million contract to this offseason. They bought out his arbitration years. They said, hey, we want you to be our everyday first baseman starting uh, when the season starts. He got off to a pretty brutal start, was striking out like 42% of the time, looked lost at the plate. Came out basically in public and said, hey, I'm not ready for this. Is like not word for word, but kind of in that same sentiment. And just was basically not looking like the guy we had seen at the minor league level. But he's starting to heat up. Um, one thing to note is his exit velocity is actually really good. His hard hit percentage is super high too. 57.1% is 98th percentile in the league. Barrel percentage is 89th percentile. So he hits the ball super hard and he's fast. 81 percentile sprint speed. He was just swinging and missing a ton. I think because he's not a guy who struck out a ton in, in, in the minor leagues. I think this is just an, an adjustment period for him. A guy who is still 24 years old. You know, it was seeing Major League Pitching really for the first time. Had this break off from spring training where he wasn't able to see, you know, the get the everyday at-bats he needed to with obviously the whole COVID and being in quarantine and, and, and whatnot. So there was an adjustment period that had to be made. It looks like he's starting to get out of it. He's hit five home runs this year. Um, which he's not he's not really known for his power, but I'm still pretty high on Evan White. I actually picked him to win the Rookie of the Year when the season started, which didn't look great, which obviously still doesn't look great. But to see him start to heat up a bit is encouraging. Um, if if you have him in redraft, yeah, you probably have to drop him because you probably already did drop him. But dynasty leagues don't hold out hope. This is a guy that's going to hit towards 
you know, if not the front, somewhere in the middle of this Mariners lineup, which is a team that in the coming years has a ton of young talent coming up. They're going to be one of the better offenses, in my opinion, in the next five seasons um, in, in, in the American League, at least. So ton of fantasy production here. Uh, love Evan White. Him hit, hitting the ball hard is definitely something that intrigues me. So don't give up on him just yet. In redraft, yeah, but Dynasty, you just, you just have to hold on hope. Put him on your bench. Go pick up Jesus Aguilar or somebody and just, just wait and reap the rewards of what Evan White is going to be. Now, we'll wrap this up here with some potential call-ups. And if I think these guys are, are going to come up, I just have four names written down here. Maybe I'll... I'll I'll add one more here because I'm a biased Padres fan. But Gavin Lux, I think we see him at some point this year. Honestly, the Dodgers don't need him right now. They have a rotunda of guys that are just really good. They're on a super hot streak. They're the best team in baseball. 21-8 and as of this recording. They're in first place in the National League West. They're going to win the division. So there's just no need to bring him up right now. Uh, he's not going to get every day at bats, which would only be a detriment, I think, to his development. I think he's ready, but... Just keep him down there, man. We probably see him at some point, but honestly, there's no need. As awesome as Gavin Lux is, they don't need him right now. So, now if Kike Hernandez or Chris Taylor or or, or or these guys that they don't trust start to struggle, then yeah, I think you see Gavin Lux come up. Or if one of them gets hurt, like Corey Seager, a guy who's dealt with back issues this year. And in the past, should he get hurt, Lux probably comes up at some point and starts to play every day. But until something like that happens, I just I, I, I don't foresee that happening. Jared Kelnick of the Seattle Mariners, a guy who has basically taken the prospect world by storm with his awesome home run videos. Don't see him coming up either, man. Jerry DePoto kind of said, yeah, we're, we're just kind of going to leave him down there. He didn't say that, but... His interview kind of came off as that. There's no need for him to come up. Obviously, he looks ready, but why would the Mariners in a non-competing season bring that guy up? It doesn't make sense to me. Uh, Matt Manning. People are, are asking where Matt Manning is now that Tariq Skubal and Casey Mize are up. It might just be a thing that, that the organization doesn't think he's ready, which is very possible. I do remember seeing somewhere on Twitter a couple weeks ago that he was getting knocked around at the alternate site, so... So something to monitor here. Even if he does come up, I really wouldn't invest redraft leagues in Matt Manning. Dynasty leagues obviously hold out hope that he's this mega strikeout athlete that throws super hard and, and has excellent stuff. So, But don't expect to see him this year. And then we'll finish this off with two Padres prospects, Taylor Trammell and Mackenzie Gore. I actually don't think we see Trammell at some point this year. The Padres love Jerickson Profar. And I mean, he's not really hitting, but he's doing what they want him to do, and he's getting on base. He's got like a nine-game on-base streak. He works at bats. He gets on base. He walks. He's fine. Um, so in, unless Profar really starts to struggle, maybe they bring up Trammell. But this is a team that's in a playoff push. I can't see them giving every day at bats to a guy who, you know, some people think is still fairly raw. Struggled last year for the most part at Double A. There are some issues there and some concerns that still need to be ironed out. So I'm not entirely sure we see Trammell, but I do think we see Mackenzie Gore. And the reason for that is this team has been hampered by injuries in the bullpen. And I think that they need to just stop doing this bullpen thing every fifth day and just call Gore up and, 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 and let him be the fifth starter. If they're not going to do that, then they have to commit to Cal Quantrill being the fifth starter, which would then significantly raise his value, which should already be raised because he's super intriguing to me. But nonetheless, I digress. 
Mackenzie Gore, I think that we will see him at some point. They now believe they're true contenders, in my opinion. I, I think the they think that they're going to make the playoffs, and they they're them internally believe that outside of just making the playoffs, that 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 they can truly make a run. So my prediction is after the trade deadline, assuming some crazy move goes down and they don't pick up Clevenger or one of these guys, that we do see Mackenzie Gore up playing and being their every their their one of their five members of that rotation. I'm not sure how he's going to do, and I'm not sure what the leash looks like. I get it. He's a super talented prospect, but this team wants to win. And if he comes up and goes through these adjustment periods that every single young pitcher goes through, then there there might not be this great leash for Mackenzie Gore, and he might ultimately end up getting sent down because I don't think they're going to use him out of the bullpen. So um, those are just kind of my thoughts there. That's kind of to wrap this podcast up. I know it was kind of choppy. I, I apologize. I haven't podcasted by myself in a long time, and these are hard to do because you're just talking basically into a microphone to nobody. So, uh, again, follow us on Twitter at NextOnDeckBSB. You can find me on Twitter at DeegsBaseball. Check the site out, next-on-deck.com. Sub to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. Leave a five-star rating. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. I would really appreciate it. Thank you again for listening. Have a good one, and I'll see you soon.